0: Hope you are doing well today and going to enjoy the weekend. But as you're getting seated, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. It can be fine in your place there in Acts, Acts chapter 4. And I might too do want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend. You know, as Todd said, we, do, we, we, we are privileged to, to have the freedoms that we have still. Um, and so we need to pray that, pray that those continue, and, and those that went before us, as he said, we need you another know, Memorial Day, Memorial Day for, for those that you know passed and serving our country in the line of duty, and Veterans Day, and you know that the those that are veterans, Armed Forces Day, they represent all those things. But I do, I don't want us to to forget, you know, the why we have the freedoms that we have on, on all of those times, and. You know, we even have uh, you know one of our own that's that's deployed now, and and so I don't want us to forget about Andrew and Ashley and their kids, and so they have a few more. He has a few more months. He's in the Middle East now, so he has a few more months before he'll be back with us. So keep them in your prayers, and and um, and keep praying. The the again, we'll have the freedoms to do what we have to do to share the gospel, to to preach here every Sunday, and and that's a, that's a good thing. But we're moving our way through the Book of Acts. We're moving through this chapter, and. This book at a at a measured but steady pace, um, and we're coming off. We're we're following the the apostles. That's that's what the book is about, the Acts of the apostles, um, and so we're just following what they've been doing, and we're coming off Peter and John's interaction with the council of of Jewish leaders after they healed the certain lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple. We saw that in Acts chapter three and. And, and, and they use that opportunity to preach Jesus, and, and the council doesn't like it, particularly the Sadducees. And so they detain them overnight to limit the impact of their ministry and their, their preaching. And, and, you know, again, they're, they're just using the opportunity that, that God had given them, and, and the rulers of Israel didn't like it. They're all sticking to the company line that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that in, in fact he is just a troublemaker. And so they threatened. Peter and John told them that they, don't, they better not preach, teach about Jesus anymore. But they knew they couldn't keep them locked up. They knew that they had to let them go. And, and the Bible says it was because of the people, which we talked about that some last week. That's, that's pretty interesting in light of what they were trying to do. They were trying to put fear into Peter and John to silence them. But in fact, they were the ones that were afraid of how the people might respond to them because there was obvious support. For Peter and John. They had just healed this guy. That was obviously a good thing. And the council was afraid that there would be an uprising if they condemned Peter and John publicly at this time. So, so they let them go. And that's where we left off the story uh, last Sunday. And what we're going to learn today is that when they go back to the other apostles, all, all of the others that were following Jesus at that time, a prayer meeting breaks out. That was their instinctive response to the need at hand. And so that's the premise that I want to explore deeper this morning. So I've titled this message, Need-Based Prayer. Very, very simple, Need-Based Prayer. Because it seems like, and I I put this on your outline sheet, but it seems like we pray our most fervent and faith-filled prayers when we are in times of need. I, I I think that's one of the reasons why God allows need in our life. Because he knows that it usually drives his children to him. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's what God wants us to do. In fact, that was the very admonition of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16. That verse says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What God wants us to do that. Now, I, I do want you to, to make note of the help that he promises, and the help that he promises is grace, And mercy, we're going to talk about that as we move on through the day. Paul describes this same sentiment in Philippians chapter 4, a very popular passage on on prayer and thinking with the right mind. We talked about that some last week as well. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, "...be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." And the obvious context is not caring about needs in a worrisome manner. We are to take them to the Lord, and He can give us a supernatural peace, even in unpeaceful situations. And again, there's, you know, there's, again, we'll talk about this as we go through, but there's, you know, there's similar trains of thought here on, on what we get, what God promises us when we go to Him. He promises us grace, He promises us peace, things like that. It's not always the answer that we're looking for, but. But again, we'll get there. So I think most of us, for most of us, it's not hard to pray when we find ourselves in those situations, in time of obvious need. But, but let me ask you a question. Why don't we always feel like we need the Lord? Why don't we always feel that way? I mean, we, we, we sing that we do. We sang it this morning in, in our new song. And, and we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. But but do we really mean that? Do we really mean that? You know, that, that, that was that one you know, one of the many things, you know, I remember Mark Trotter saying is like, you know, as Christians, we don't usually tell lies we sing them. And there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. So do we really mean that, that we need God every hour? Every hour do we need him? You know, Christ said that one description of Christianity in our day is that we live like we have no need of anything, including him. Revelation 3.17, talking about the Laodicean, speaking to the Laodicean church, a representation of the church as it it is today. says, because thou sayest, this church, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And when we live like that, which I believe is all too often, our prayer life shows it. So we beg God in tears every hour to help us when some catastrophe hits. And listen, that's okay. That's what God wants us to do. It's what Hebrews 4.16 tells us to do. It's not wrong by any means. In fact, it's right. It's what we absolutely should do. But I think that too many times when there's a less obvious need in our life, we're like, eh. I mean, we still pray. But it's not as often, it's not as fervent, and it's not as faithful. And now maybe that doesn't describe you, and if it doesn't, praise the Lord. But I know it describes a lot of us, myself included. And I know this is a problem for nearly everyone at some level. So if that is true, if, if my premise, if what I'm talking about is true, what's to be done? Or is it just okay? Is it just okay to be lukewarm in our prayer life? Or... Can we develop an attitude where we are consistently praying what I'm calling today need-based prayers? And I believe the answer is that we can absolutely get to that place. And and listen, if we really want the Lord to take us to new levels, if we desire that passion for the mission that this series is about, then we must get to that place. But here is the key. Here, here's the differentiator in all this. This gets to how we define needing God. Because here's the real question. Here's the question that you need to ask yourself, and I put this on your outline sheet. When you put, in the context of needing God, do you primarily view needing God in light of solving your problems? or do you primarily view needing God in light of fulfilling His mission? How do you look at it when we say, I need God, is it only in the context of your physical and selfish desires? Or do you think of what God is needing out of us too? What is it exactly that you need God to do? Because if your definition of needing God is only framed in the context of personal selfishness and and desires, then you will only pray need-based prayers when you determine that things are not going your way or when you believe something bad has happened. But on the flip side of that, if your definition of needing God includes fulfilling his mission and glorifying him with your life, then you very quickly realize that you do need him all the time, every day, every hour. Because you can't do that in the flesh. So this really gets to an underlying belief about our life. And whether we believe that God is there for us, or we are here for him. And if we truly believe that we are here for him, which is what the Bible says, by the way, we are here for his pleasure, Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So if we believe that, if we believe that verse, then praying need-based prayers won't be as, as much of an issue. And we see a great example of this type of prayer in our passage this morning. So that's what I, I want to get into. And I, wanna, I want you to, to consider it with that framework of how you define need and how you define needing God. And I want you to line up the characteristics of this prayer with, with how we or how you typically pray. And that's one way that you can know that you're in tune with God and that you're thinking with the right mind if your prayers line up with, with this type of prayer. So let's look at, at Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31 together, and then we'll dive into the characteristics of this need-based type of praying. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, and being let go, it's talking about Peter and John, they had been detained, they had presented before the council, now they're let go, and being let go, They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, And the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer and and, and see what he'll have for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the the time that we have together this morning. We thank you for the freedom to be able to do it. and pray that that continues. Lord, I pray that you use uh, this message in our hearts this morning. I pray that you move me out of the way and, and pray that your Holy Spirit has free reign. Um, not only from the pulpit, but from the pew. And, and Lord, that you would work in our hearts as only you can. And I I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. And, and Lord, I pray that you're honored and glorified through it, through this entire service. And, and Lord, that, that as we look at our lives and see the areas where we need to change, that we'll be obedient to that end for your glory. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're continuing on. This, this Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 is, is a running narrative of, a, you know, this same issue. So, you know, they, this incredible journey with this lame man that they healed. And they rejoice with him as he begins walking and leaping and praising God. And they, they turn to the crowd. They're preaching Jesus. They get thrown in jail. You know, all of that that we've already talked about. And now they go back to the other apostles, the other followers of Jesus, and they give a report of all that happened. And this report is really a confirmation that those Jewish leaders had made their choice, that made their choice against Jesus. We've talked in some length about these beginning chapters of the book of Acts being about Israel getting a renewed opportunity, another chance to make the right decision about Jesus specifically as their king. And it's all going to culminate in Acts chapter 7, when the rulers of Israel hear one final sermon from Stephen before they kill him. But, but we'll get there in into July-ish, maybe 1st of August. We'll see. But here in chapter 4, we really get to see the direction that, that this is heading. Because for all intents and purposes, they've made up their mind. They've made their decision. It's just that a few more things have to play out before God turns away for the, from them for the time being. And all this drives the apostles and followers of Jesus to pray. And in this prayer, we see these characteristics of of this need-based prayer. And the first one I want to look at today is the priority action of prayer. I want us to see the priority action of prayer. Because after everyone became fully aware of the situation, after Peter and John give the report, the very first thing the church did was pray. They didn't choose to talk among themselves and figure out what they should do. They didn't ask others for advice. They didn't choose fear. They didn't choose to run away. They didn't choose to be silent. They chose to pray. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, as soon as they did, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. It said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. You see, they went to the Lord first. That was the priority action they took when placed in a position of need. And that's our philosophy here at First Baptist Church as well. It's why we call our monthly prayer ministry, Prayer First. It should be our first response, not our last resort. And and just listen, the, the truth is, how or why should you and I expect God to do anything in our life if we don't make it a priority to ask him? And that applies to us as a church as well. How or why should we expect God to do anything in our midst if we don't make it a priority to ask him? Because again, this just gets to what we think about God where our faith lies because this characteristic acknowledges God's worthiness it acknowledges God's worthiness that he is the only one true God and he's worthy to be prayed to you see we should we should be very careful who we pray to he's the only one worthy And you even see this play out in how they started their prayer. Not only did they pray first, but they begin their prayer by acknowledging who God is as the creator. He is the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. No one else did that. And you see that acknowledgement by others in their prayers throughout Scripture. So just for example, David, Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. that's just such an important acknowledgement because it sets your mind right. It sets your mind right, especially when you are in a time of need and, and when we're in those at least physical times of need, but spiritual as well, in all of those times, it becomes quite difficult for us to keep our mind right. And and we get thinking, you know, with worldly thoughts, and we get our mind off, and our emotions and our feelings tend to rule us in dark moments. So we need to be able to think soberly, and acknowledging God in his rightful platform is helpful. It's a model that God lays out for us. This you see throughout Scripture, as you see throughout prayers. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And we talked about that verse. We read that verse a couple of weeks ago in the context of persecution. But that applies to our prayer life as well. What do you think about God when you're going through those deep, dark, hard moments? Can you still say, but listen, I know he's a faithful creator. I know that he loves me. I know that there's steadfast love. Like Wayne was saying this morning, we can still run to him. And he's there with open arms in those times. Do you believe that? And by acknowledging it in prayers, it helps set your mind where it needs to be set to be able to think right. You must know, you must believe that he's a faithful creator or you won't survive times of need in a God-glorifying way. And I'm afraid this type of praying is different from our prayers sometimes. Because how many times when we pray do we just jump right to our problems? The apostles had problems. But that is not where they started. And too many times we completely bypass who he is and we go right to what we think we need. And listen, God wants us to tell him our needs and our desires. We've we've talked about that. We'll actually continue to talk about it, but you also need to know that he is not a genie in a bottle. Do you believe that God is there for us or do you believe that we are here for him? Listen, the Bible says that he is the creator of everything. That means he is the owner. That means we are his subjects, his servants. And and there are certainly times, and there are certainly situations that we go through in life that are horrifyingly painful and confusing. And there are many things in this life that we may not understand. And God doesn't always even expect us to. But we should never doubt who he is. We should never doubt that he's a faithful creator should never doubt that he loves us. And when you when you don't acknowledge it, you begin to lose sight of it. Just the outward expression of it is important. It's important to remind yourself who he is, especially in those dark moments. So listen, if he's the owner, we're his subjects, we're his servants, we're to serve him and not the other way around, and I think sometimes in our selfishness, not even intentionally, just because we don't, we have, we, we get off in our thinking, but we we get that we get that backwards, you know. Even what's known, I think, incorrectly known as the Lord's Prayer, but what's known as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, you remember how that prayer starts? Matthew six nine says, "After this manner, therefore pray ye." How do you start? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that prayer does not apply to us doctrinally, but there is still a lot we can learn from it, like like how our prayers should probably start acknowledging him for who he is and just how worthy he is. So do you think that? Do you think he's worthy? Well, if so, then you ought to tell him. And maybe you should even acknowledge him before you ask him to acknowledge you. Now, now to be fair, not every Bible in the prayer starts out this way. I mean, some of David's prayers in the psalm is ask God to save him. You know, when Peter, after Peter's walking on the water and he, he starts to drown, he says, Lord, save me. I mean, that, that was his prayer, Matthew 14. And, of, of course, there are times where you just cry out to God and that's all you can do in the moment. But I'm just saying those should be the exception and not the rule. We're seeking God to intervene in our situation for his own glory. Acknowledge him for who he is and, by extension, who you are not. Because the truth is he holds all the cards. He is the only one who can answer a prayer. So we need to make him the priority. But then second, the next characteristic we see of this need-based prayer is the positive agreement of prayer. The positive agreement of prayer. So we have the priority action. It comes first. It acknowledges him, who he is, his, his worthiness. But there's a positive agreement that comes from prayer. And we see the positive agreement in verse 24. And when they heard that, when they heard the report, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So that we see with this early church that when they prayed, they prayed with one accord. And we've talked about that phrase before, how it's found multiple times, 12 times, in fact, through the book of Acts. So, so I won't belabor this point because we've already talked about it. But obviously, with respect to the apostles, that phrase is attached to the unity that they had together and not every time but but many times that phrase is attached to the, the unity they had in prayer. And listen, including this time of course. And listen, this is this is one aspect of prayer that sometimes gets overlooked. As we talk about having a, a prayer closet and and, and we talk about that because Jesus talked about that, you know, Matthew 6.6. 6. I mean, that's a, that's a biblical principle. But We, we talk about having a, a prayer closet and our personal time with the Lord and how personal relationship with, with, is built through prayer. And, and, and that's all good. That's all right. That's all necessary, of course. But if that is the only way you think of prayer, then, then you aren't thinking biblically. Because many of the references to prayer in the New Testament specifically, at least half, are in the context of of corporate prayer. They're in the context of a church praying together. You see that all throughout Acts. It's what we're seeing here. In Paul's letters, he requested that the churches pray corporately all the time. You have to remember, most of his epistles are written to churches and not individuals, so don't miss the context. But, But let me give you just a few examples where you absolutely can't. Miss the context, just based on on the way it's written. Romans 15.30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, he said, Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he said, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, brethren, in the plural context, brethren, pray for us. And why does God want us doing that? Well, partly because of the unity an agreement that it brings to a church, that it brings to a marriage, that it brings to a family. Let me let me ask let me ask you a question. How many times do you see backbitings and arguments break out amongst people praying together? I mean, listen, God God forbid that it would happen. But Part of God's purpose in corporate prayer is to bring a body of believers together, striving to the same end. And it brings us in one accord. That is why you miss so much when you miss our corporate prayer time together on Sunday nights. So this is is one of the causes of disunity within a church. This is one of the primary reasons why churches become dysfunctional. And no one ends up on the same page. And folks have different ideas about what is good for the church and what's not good for the church. Because that same group of people are all individuals. And they don't spend time laboring and praying with others from the church. Because when you do, shockingly, most people end up on the same page. God just has a way of working that out. And then you agree on what's being done and the way to get it done. So listen, and I put this on your outline sheet. When Christians refrain from praying together, it should come as no surprise when their wills are divided and the vision is lost. It should come as no surprise. It shouldn't be a shock to anybody. Because in those times, the vision just seems unclear. But then on the flip side, when we pray together, when we get to hear each other's hearts, That brings clarity of vision, especially, and listen to me, especially when you get to hear your pastor's hearts, which you do on our prayer nights. And we have have a different time there. Like if I'm going to make, you know, special family-based announcements, I'm going to do it on Sunday night because that's the core. That's who I want to know my heart. And this is just the way God set it up to work. So this characteristic of need-based prayer, this one, it acknowledges God's wisdom. God knew what he was doing by setting up the church and establishing prayer as a glue to hold the church together and to keep it unified together for his glory. Ephesians 3 verses 10 and 11 says to the intent that now unto the principalities of powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal pur- purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then skip down to verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. But listen, let me ask you, how does God get glory by, in the church when the church isn't on the same page? And when its members focus more on complaining about other members or the way ministry is done than they do about making things right. The answer is he doesn't. God gets no glory out of that. And he created corporate prayer as one means to combat it. And listen, I get it. Sometimes praying together feels weird. That's what I'm talking about. We, we, we usually think of prayer just in that concept of prayer closet. It's a very personal thing. And so you don't want to pray in front of others for that reason. And it it feels so personal. And listen, I'll be very honest with you. I get that way. When I think about it at times, I I don't always want to do it. But I don't know how else to say it except are you going to fear God or fear man? That's what I tell myself. Are you going to only accept and live out the parts of the Bible that you like Or do you think maybe, just maybe, God knows what he's doing? Even when he asks you to do something that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You think maybe he still knows what's best for you? It's a possibility. You should at least consider it. Do you trust he's a faithful and wise creator? So next Sunday night, you should be here. <laughs> I mean, we're even going to feed you. So I mean, what excuse do you, do you have? So we have the, the priority action of prayer. That, that should be our first response. There is a positive agreement that comes from prayer and builds unity within the body. And then the third characteristic of need-based, need-based prayer that we need to discuss is the primary aspect of prayer. And the primary aspect of true biblical need-based prayer is the word of God. And so this characteristic, the primary aspect, the characteristic, this, this one acknowledges God's word. So, so we acknowledge God's worthiness and understanding who he is. We acknowledge his wisdom and how he set up prayer to, to, to bring unity to a body. But this, this characteristic acknowledges God's word as preeminent. As, as what should drive our prayers. And that's what we see starting in verse 25. When the, when the church starts praying, they pray God's word back to him. So pick up the narrative again in verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord God, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And then in verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his christ for of a truth against the holy child thy holy child jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done so what they do once they acknowledge god for who he is they start quoting scripture They start quoting and invoking Psalm chapter 2 in their prayer. So Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. This is what they started praying. They started praying scripture back. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But look at verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So he quotes Psalm chapter 2. or They quote in their prayers, Psalm chapter 2. And, you know, one one of my go-to moves in counseling, so if you've ever been into counseling, especially dealing with with trauma and those sort of things, one of my go-to moves is to tell the person, go find yourself in the Psalms. So I'll say, go find yourself in the Psalms. And what I mean by that is no matter the emotion that you're dealing with, you can open anywhere in the Psalms. Just open in the Psalms and just start reading until you find exactly what you're feeling and what you're dealing with. It it usually won't take you very long. And when you do, when you find yourself, pray that back to God. Insert yourself into that and make it personal and make it your prayer. And obviously, I think that's great advice, which is why I give it. But, (laughs) But before this study... I never really considered just how biblical that advice really is because that is exactly what they did here. They went and they found themselves in the Psalms. And they found their situation in the Psalms. And they started praying it back to God. And they even inserted the names of the heathen and the kings of the earth at the time, those that had crucified Jesus, the anointed in Psalm 2, which is Christ in the New Testament, that's the Hebrew and the Greek so the apostles and other believers, listen, they thought they were going to be part of the literal fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. That's where they were. They were like, listen, this is, this is it. This is all coming to an end. They thought they were headed for the tribulation in accordance with a literal fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to Israel, because that is absolutely where everything was pointing. They just couldn't see the mystery of the church. They just couldn't see that. And listen, they had no way to. It was impossible for them to see it because it was still a mystery until it was revealed to Paul. It wasn't revealed at this time. But the first coming and the second coming, and we're not going to take time. We don't have the time. But we're not going to take time to, to go through it. You can do it on your own if you're interested. But the first coming and the second coming are very, very clearly seen in Psalm chapter 2. And they absolutely saw it. And that's why they chose this one. They they found themselves in the Psalms and they were all about it. And they were like, "Let's do it. Bring it on." And they knew God was in control. That's the point that's the point of verse 28. He said, you know what all these kings, what all these heathen, what all these rulers of the earth did? They did. They killed Jesus for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. There's a couple points to make here. First of all is, is, the, is the differentiation of the words counsel in chapter 4. The counsel of the Lord is obviously opposed to the counsel who is always against the Lord. When it's spelled C-I-L. You know, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, that's a bad thing. When it's spelled C-O-U-N-S-E-L, that's a good thing in Scripture. Just a little, little tip there. But the other point of this is that this verse, Acts 4.28, is not some deterministic, Calvinistic proof text. This is only proof of God's foreknowledge and providence in, res- in response to the will of man. Those kings, those rulers absolutely had a choice, and they chose. You see when Christ was crucified what this verse is saying is Satan did not win a victory because God used it for good. It's the principle of Genesis 50:20, Joseph speaking but as for you ye thought speaking to his brothers, ye thought evil against me but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And Joseph is, you know, probably the best picture of Christ in the Bible. And it just gets to you you cannot beat God. You just can't beat him. And listen, if Satan can't beat him, you can't either. So you might, as well, you might as well get on board. If you're not on board, you might as well get on board. Psalm 76, verse 10, listen to what it says. It says, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. Because you just can't beat God. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. But going back to our point here. All they were doing is claiming God's promises from his word. They were just praying them back to him. And did you notice that they still haven't even made any requests of God yet? They're just acknowledging his worthiness. They're acknowledging his wisdom. They're acknowledging his word. They're putting themselves in the middle of it because that's what they saw. They're like, this is it. Tribulation's coming. It's the end. And listen, that, what I just described, is really what spiritual prayer is about. It is about understanding your situations through the lens of God's word. And then seeking what God's Word says, not your own selfish desires, right? So, so spiritual prayer is about understanding your situation through the lens of God's Word. So one of the things we, we talk about in here, one of the things that, that, that I'm a firm believer in, I teach it in our counseling class and everything, is not only the authority of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture. And so if, if the Bible is sufficient for all things, for all things pertaining unto life and godliness, if that's true then that means whatever situation you're dealing with, God has an answer. Okay, so now it's not always easy. We're going to talk about that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of anybody's situations. There's tragedy. There's, there's heartbreak. There's all sorts of things that we have to deal with in this sin-stained world. But, but what our prayer life should be about is, is understanding our situation through the lens of God's word, not through the lens of the world, through the lens of God's word. And then we begin to see what God says, and then we begin to, to, to pray that and to bring that about in our life, what God wants to do in our hearts, and we're going to continue to talk about this. But as part of that, one of the things we shouldn't do, this is, how, this is how, how you have to be able to rightly divide Scripture and know Scripture, is you shouldn't steal the promises of Israel and then apply them to us. We have our own promises and I say that because many times we do like what you see in in churches, particularly charismatic churches today, is they're just stealing the promises of Israel all the time. Because many of those promises are are more physical and ours are more spiritual. So you have a kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God focus. If you don't know what that means, no big deal, just keep coming. But but if you understand what that means, there's there's more of a physical focus on what God does with Israel, there's more of a spiritual focus how God works in us. And so we like the physical promises because it's promises of healing, it's promises of prosperity, there's promises like that that don't apply to us at all. They don't even apply to Israel now, they apply to Israel in the millennium. But anyway, I'm getting off, I should get back to my notes. Um, But they make us feel better. But when we pray, we should pray in light of understanding what God's word says we will go through in the age of grace. So we don't have to pray Psalm chapter 2. And we shouldn't pray about being able to survive the tribulation because we're not going to go through the tribulation. We don't need to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't need to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. We can pray that inspirationally, but not doctrinally. Those are all related to Israel and the kingdom of heaven based on what they are going to experience. But we go through experiences too. Even experiences of suffering. And those Jewish context verses don't apply directly to us, but there's a lot to do. So, for example, Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, they apply to us. And they say, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the Spirit inside of us. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Okay, There's a lot going on in these verses, but I, I don't need you to get anything else out of those verses except I need you to connect verse 18 and verse 23. And when you connect those, what you see is there are absolutely sufferings in this life. Uh, this life is hard, but, but there's also glory to come. Okay, There's, there's glory to come. And you, you can't even compare the two. And the glory to come is at the redemption of the body, right? That's what verse 23 is. When we get a glorified body, and when is that? It happens at the rapture. So based on those verses, our prayer shouldn't necessarily be, Lord, take the suffering away because God doesn't promise that. But he does promise to redeem our bodies. So we should pray for that day. For the rapture of the church. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, eight. henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So we should long for his appearing, and then all sufferings are going to end. And these verses in Romans 8 and 2 Timothy 4 are directly connected to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This says, for our light affliction, and I'm not even going to take the time or hurt you with how Paul defines light affliction. Lord, have mercy. He was a tough man. But for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this is how you make sense of all these verses. You compare Scripture with Scripture. And what Scripture says, and in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says that the suffering that we go through today works for us in glory. Okay, so, so let me ask you, and that's an, I, I I get. This is a hard question. I have to ask myself the same thing, too. But if it works for us, should we really want to get rid of it? And listen, it's natural, and it's okay to pray for that. But you also have to be okay with God's answer. Because maybe if we get rid of it, our glory to come won't be as glorified. And not only that... We might lose grace today. That's what we learned from Paul regarding his thorn in the flesh. Because Paul had a situation that he did ask God to remove. He had a thorn in the flesh that, that buffeted him, that, that, that he struggled with. And he asked God to remove it and get rid of it. So he had a time of the need. He went to the Lord. He asked for that help. Great. There is nothing wrong with that. But he got an answer that wasn't what he asked for. And the key was he was still okay with it. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, he says, "Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. And there's a lot there we just don't have time to talk about. But he said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Just to, to, just to it means rap with fists, just to hit over and over again. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, so he prayed until he got an answer. But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, is Paul's response. "Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me." Amen. You see, it goes back to glory. And if God is able to get glory out of us down here, then we will get glory up there. But not only that, God still promises grace down here. Remember when we were reading First Corinthians, or, or we were reading Hebrews 4:16? What's God promise? When you come to him in a time of need, grace to help in a time of need. Peace, right? Those are the promises we have in Scripture. So he promises grace to get through it. But if you miss out on that, if you get caught up in your own selfish desires over God's word, and, and if God answers a prayer in a way that you don't like and and different from what you prayed. And in response, you get mad, you get upset at God. And you don't accept it and you turn away from the Lord. Then then you're saying that his grace is not sufficient. And that you don't desire his strength. You you want your own strength. And it's a bad place to find yourself. But, But you have to be willing to accept and acknowledge his word. And that it is truth. And that he is right. Even when it doesn't make any sense at all. And there are times in our life that that just happens. We can't make sense of it because we have a human brain. And it's above our pay grade. And and God sees it all. And he sits above space and time. And he sees it all. And he knows what's right. And he knows what brings him glory. And, and it means, it may mean suffering for us. But man, if you can just keep putting one foot in front of the next. Acknowledging his word, acknowledging his worthiness, acknowledging his wisdom that he is right no matter what. Then you can get somewhere. And God can get glory from your life and that means you will get glory in the life to come. And that brings us to our last characteristic of need-based prayer. And that is the purposeful aim of prayer. Look at verse 29, because, because here we see the apostles' first request. It takes us down to verse 29 before they even ask anything. And it shows us what the purpose of our prayer should be. Verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And this is really a continuation of what we were just talking about. But but what this characteristic acknowledges is God's will. So this characteristic acknowledges God's will. And that is really the purpose. This is the purposeful aim. This is the purpose of all prayer and that is to find God's will. Right? So we we take our request. So Paul asked for the thorn to be removed. And again, that's all fine. We pray for we pray for people to be healed, we pray for situations to change, we pray for people to find jobs, all of that. And we should con- absolutely continue to do all of it. We absolutely will. But but what we're asking is is God, you you need to step in. You need to fix it. And when he does, even if it's in a way that we don't like, even if it's in a way that, that we didn't pray for, well well we have still been brought into God's will on the situation. And that's really what prayer is to be about. is to, we're asking God to work, and when He does, okay, well, that's what it is. And this is when we... Your will over mine. I don't understand it, but your will over mine. And so back to what we were just talking about, I want you to notice what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray that God would remove the threatenings. They didn't pray that God would take away the persecution and the suffering. And do you know why they didn't pray for that? Because they knew God's word. And God had already told them that they were going to be persecuted. So what was the point of praying for something that God had already told them was going to, praying against something God already told them was going to happen? They were okay with it. Because they believed God for who he was. They knew the Old Testament prophecies of Psalm 2 and, and all of the others. And Jesus himself had already told them what was going to happen. Remember Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 18? Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be, but be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sakes, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Jesus had already told them that was going to happen. So they didn't waste their time to pray. Say, hey, God, I, what you already told me was going to happen, can you make that not happen? That wasn't, that wasn't their prayer. It, this was settled in their hearts. They weren't going to go against God's word because God's word reveals God's will. But let me ask you, is that same sentiment settled in your heart? That you're going to take God's word for whatever it says. Even when it says we should come together to pray. Even when it says we're going to experience times of suffering for his glory. And, and again, trust me. I under, listen, I, I say all of that with fear and trepidation. I, I mean it. And, and I say it understanding the difficulties of this life. I've have gone through them personally. I have sat in rooms with people going through them. I've held the hands of people going through them. I've prayed with people going through them. And and it's the hardest thing. Listen, I, I never feel more unqualified as as a pastor than than like like it or not. What I, when I'm doing this. I feel like I have a handle on what I'm doing. I feel like I have a handle on God's word. And, you know, I, I know what to preach. I'm confident in what God's given me and what I'm saying. When, when I'm sitting in a hospital room with someone whose loved one is dying or maybe they're dying or whatever, there's, I never feel more unqualified than them. I don't know what to say other than what God's word says. And I know in that moment that's not always, you know, it's not always comforting. But, man, it's still true. It's still true. And, and, and many times there's, there's nothing to be said, you know, to just be there. And, and that's hard. I, I, so I say all this acknowledging I'm not trying to make light of any situation. And any, there's difficult, difficult things. I'm just trying to stay true to this book. That's all I know to do. So their hearts were settled to go by the word of God. And, and, and therefore, okay, so we looked at what wasn't their request, what was their request? Their request was for boldness to speak God's word and for an open door. That's what they requested. They said, things are going to get hard. And we know it. God's already told us this. We know it's going to get hard and we might be tempted to go silent. God, don't let us do that. Keep us bold. Allow us to speak. Keep the doors open for us to heal and show the signs and wonders of your son, Jesus. Oh, what a righteous request. One that acknowledges God's will over their own will. And one that proves how they defined needing God. They didn't need him to take them out of the situation. They needed him to get them through and keep giving him glory. That's what they needed. They didn't know how they could do that on their own. Lord, we know what's in front of us. How are we going to be bold? We need you every hour, to help us get through this. That's what we need. That's what they needed God for, to fulfill his will. And that's what they were about. That's what they needed to do. And they knew they couldn't do it on their own, and we cannot either. But listen, when we get this down, this is absolutely life-changing, and you view life from a completely different perspective. And you receive God's strength, your, your promised grace. You get his strength in your weakness. Because when we want what God wants and we express that in prayer, there's power available. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him Because those petitions are according to his will. And and look at the power that is present here in Acts chapter four, verse 31. And when they prayed, because it was according to God's will, because it was according to God's word, because it acknowledged who he was, when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And we're gonna dive into this verse in more detail on, on next Sunday. But I wanted to introduce it today in the context of this point because when we have a purposeful aim in our prayers, and that purposeful aim is God's will. God will show up in a powerful way. And God answered their prayer, and he gave them the boldness and the opportunity to speak, at least for a little while longer. And don't you think that God will do the same for you and me? Of course he will. Is there anyone that God doesn't want to get his word to? No. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some may count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And of course man has a free will, but God wants his word to go forth, and he wants it to go forth through us. And I absolutely believe that can happen. I believe First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia can turn the world upside down. I don't, I don't care that it's Laodicea. Listen, we serve a big God, but we need this type of passion for the mission. We need to start praying these type of prayers individually and corporately, and then we need to be bold. We need to take some new steps to try some new things. Let's not be satisfied with our existing bubble. Let's burst it and see how many people we can get in through the opening. But if we don't pray about it, it won't happen. If we do not need the Lord, he won't show up on our behalf. He'll let us do our own thing. But I don't want to do our own thing. I want to do his thing. All to his glory. The days are short and eternity's long. Let's live for that today and go out swinging. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. And we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for for even in the hard times, Lord, you have promises for us. And you have a promise for grace. You have a promise for peace. You have a promise for, for to, to get through. Um, and you have promise for glory waiting on the other side. And, Lord, we long for that day. And, Lord, we long for, for you to have your day where you will stand and sit in the throne um, and, and reign over this earth, Lord, for that thousand-year day in the millennium. And, Lord, we're just, we look forward to that for you. And in the meantime, Lord, keep us bold. And keep doors open and allow us to shake this city, to shake this county, to shake this state. And Lord, turn the world upside down through us. But Lord, we, we acknowledge we have no power in ourselves to do that. We have to have you. And Lord, we need you to do it. So Lord, help us in that endeavor. We love you. We thank you so much. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.